Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. We are happy to announce that we also have a new website. So if you're looking for us online, make sure you go to www.bridgingchicago.com where you can find all of our past podcasts, some quotes from our past guests. So make sure you go visit us at bridgingchicago.com as well. Again, thanks for joining us. We are joined today by Natalie Herzog, uh, who is joining us remotely. She is in her home and I am in mine. just as we're still under the COVID procedures, we're recording remotely for the safety of our guests and uh, for everyone else as we try and keep each other safe. So Natalie, we want to thank you for joining us and, uh, you know, trying out this new equipment that we're still getting a little used to. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Natalie is the uh, new development project manager at Senior Lifestyle Corporation, and we're really excited to get to talk to her about her work there. Before we do that, though, we're going to backtrack a little bit because we'd love to hear about how you grew up and sort of what that what life was like for you as a young person and kind of figure out how you got to where you're at. So, Natalie, why don't you go ahead and tell us, are you a Chicago native? Were you born and raised here or did you come here from somewhere else? I am not from Chicago. I actually moved here um, from Calgary, Alberta, which is in Canada. Oh, okay. Um, But what makes me even more interesting is I was actually born and raised in Kinshasa, which is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Far from Chicago. far from Chicago, but I've been here for about four and a half years. Okay. Um, so that just brings about 400 other questions that could probably fill up a few podcasts, mm-hmm. but, uh, for the interest of time, we'll just kind of give people an idea of what life was like for you. Um, say like your elementary slash high school age, what, what was family life and then education like for you? Um, yeah. So being born and raised in a third world country, I was, my upbringing was completely different than anyone here in America. Um, So I first went to a Montessori school. Um, It was a French-based Montessori school. And then when we were actually evacuated um, because there was a civil war in the Congo in 1991, I went to a private Catholic school um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, Then after Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I went on to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Um, And when growing up in the Congo, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I really just didn't realize how great of a childhood I had until about mid-20s, you know, because when you're a kid, you just think everyone's life, other lives are way cooler and more, more interesting. (laughs) But 
No, I I, kinda, I grew up in a really interesting, um, cool way in a really cool in, environment. Um, not only was I born and raised in third world country, I English was my third language. I'm biracial, and my family we didn't do stereotypical vacations like oh let's pack up and go to the beach. We were going on vacation mm-hmm. to you know Europe and South Africa. So I had just since a small kid, I've had a very rich experience of being around a lot of different cultures, tasting a lot of different foods. Um, and it's just been really, it's been, it's really shaped who I am. And I am so fortunate to have had that experience. Um, when we did move to the United States in 1991, um, it was actually a culture shock for all of us because I went from being in a very diverse environment. Uh, my school was an international school to going to a private Catholic school in a very um, hoity-toity part of Cincinnati where my sister and I were the only two minorities. And that for us was very, um, it was very unique, I guess you could say. Uh, Mm -hmm. We navigated it through the best that we could. But when I reflect and look back on my experience, there was parts of it that were pretty sad and pretty lonely and rather isolating. So... I guess, yeah, that's that's my my childhood. I, I mean, like you said, there's so many different parts of my childhood and upbringing that um, I could go on for hours and hours about it. But Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about family life, because um, one of the things that I do know about uh, different cultures, uh, and that is other than, let's say, U.S. culture, um, so culture in the Congo, maybe. Um, but just from what conversations I've had with others who grew up uh, either not in the U.S. or in minority families here in the U.S. is that family is so important. And obviously family is important to, to all of us. Yeah. We all love our families and, um, and and not to say that it's not. But I feel like in some other countries or some other places in the world, the the place that family holds is just so much bigger and so much more um, important uh, on the scale. So just tell me about the importance of family and your your growing up and, and sort of when you're adjusting to a new place, you know, probably feeling like that's all you had for a little bit was each other, what that was like. <laughs> I'm in a very unique, I grew up in a very unique situation only because my dad is American. He was born in Hamilton, Ohio, which is right outside of Cincinnati. Um, Very stereotypical, uh, three kids, two parents, went to Catholic church, Catholic school, went to church every Sunday. And then on the other side, we have my Congolese side of the family um, where I can't even count how many aunts and uncles and cousins I have on that side of the family um, just because we don't really the Congolese side of the family doesn't really believe that it's all through your bloodline it's really if I say you're my cousin you're my cousin and that's just who it is growing up I everybody was uncle or aunt or uncle or aunt or or my cousin and actually a pretty cute story is my aunt who raised me she was my nanny, I guess you could say. Uh, we call I called her Tantine, and not until I was about twelve did I know that that wasn't her real name. I just thought <laughs> it was her name, and it was actually a rather cute story. But um, growing up in in the Congo, families everything family is so important. We pretty much all live together, even when you 
you get married, your family doesn't really go far. We're all together and we're rather tight knit. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, that's not the same approach. And, and my boyfriend and I sometimes kind of, um, have interesting conversations because I say, you know, if we have kids, my mom's moving in with us. And he's like, well, for how long? I said, forever. (laughs) Why this is even a question. And it's just not it, 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 his, the way he was brought up versus how I was brought up was just very, very different. Um, I think that my dad, did grow up with the mentality of once you turn 18, move out of the house, you create your own life. However, from living in the Congo for over 30 years, he started, you know, that philosophy and that mindset completely changed. And our family, we pretty much did everything together. I can't remember any event, any outing, any parent-teacher conference that my family was not always involved in, which it was really has shaped who I am. And till this day, you know, my family is everything to me. Um, and I could imagine it any other way. Right. So, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because in the current landscape of things with COVID and with this worldwide pandemic, where it's not just the Midwest, the U S you know, that's dealing with this, but it's everywhere basically. Uh, we have seen the family dynamic sort of change and, and really in a lot of ways we feel like that is all we have is mm-hmm. um, family and those who are able to work from home, you know, work. But for you, that's obviously just been a part of who you are for so long. So we, have you seen sort of either friends or colleagues have you seen the way that this has changed their family dynamic? And and if so, you know, what have you been able to teach them or what have you seen that's been really interesting to you about how families are, are working right now? Um, well, I haven't really seen families because I'm trying to do social distancing. But from just conversations I've had with people, I think everyone's slowed down and I think we're starting to really understand what is important. Um, and it's all, it's just family and mm-hmm. spending time with your family and having conversations. And I think it's just brought a lot of people closer in a very unconditional, unconditional way um, with, with more tenderness and more grace and empathy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, people are starting to see, be more empathetic with each other, with people who aren't part of their families. Mm. And um, just removing a lot of that criticism that we used to have. And I think it's just caused us as a whole society to really shift our paradigm and say, let's stop, you know, going, it's, this isn't a rat race anymore. Let's slow down and spend time with the things that are important and that is friends and family and um and hopefully it sticks and and that's what my hope is is that this sticks people recentering themselves and really focusing on the family yeah um versus what it used to be like before um so for me i think people it just caused people to slow down and be a lot more tender with each other and not just with the nucleus of their own personal families Yeah, yeah, I, I have the same hope. I hope that it sticks and I hope that people remember 
these times when we're in hopefully better times for different times, well, I guess. Well, you know, with, with the population I work with, you know, they, the, their great depression, I mean, they, they, it was, they still have PTSD from it. They still hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope we don't have PTSD, but a lot of us are going to have a lot from it because what we've gone through as a society, you you could, just could not fathom this. And it, it's been so stressful to so many different degrees. But I hope that we can hold on to the the sweet parts of it as well and not just the, the scary parts of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, tell me about being educated um, as a young person. What what the what your education was like, or what it was like going to school somewhere else. So, like I said, I went to a Montessori school, which I loved, and actually, going through a Montessori school really has shaped how I've learned to this day. I'm a very hands-on visual learner. Mm. If you were to say, "Not read this book," I would have I'd walk away from it and be like, "I have no idea what I just read." Once, <laughs> and I'll always remember it. But so I, I went to a French um, Montessori school until I was um, in the in grade three. And then in grade three, we came to the United States in Cincinnati and I went to a private Catholic school. And that was, that was horrible. It was such a horrible experience for me because one, I was, my curriculum was so different than what it was in the United States. And English wasn't my primary language that I actually almost was held back third and fourth grade. Uh, my family had to get me lots and lots of tutors. I was that kid that was going out to the van. I had tutors on the weekends, hooked on phonics, anything you could think of. Um, my parents did to try to get me caught up with my peers in the third and fourth grade. Um, so it was it was pretty, it was a struggle for me. And till this day, I still struggle sometimes with the English written language. But um <laughs> After, you know, and then once I hit fifth fifth grade, I started kind of getting my own stride. I wasn't, you know, the valedictorian. I wasn't a C student. I was a solid A minus student, you know. Um, After I went to high, after grade school, I went to high school again. I I was more interested in the extracurricular activities. Um, But I took advantage of all of the, everything that my school had to offer. I was in every extracurricular activity you could think of. I, you know. Uh, I tried to broaden my horizons as much as I could. Um, and it was, again, a private Catholic high school. It was, but luckily, when I went to high school, it was an inner city private high school, so it was diverse. Yeah. But it was, it was weird because I'm biracial, and I didn't, I've never fit anywhere, which it might sound odd, but I've never fit in with the white kids. I've never fit in with the black American kids. <laughs> I've always sort of been this outlier. Um, so I've never had this like super close knit group of friends growing up um, just because no one could really relate to what I had, what my life had been and what my experiences were like. Yeah. Um, high school sucked. You know, looking back, like it just sucked. Like, you know, I was picked on by both, but not to the point where I felt like, oh, I'm being bullied. Like that wasn't even a term we used in high school um, back when we went, when I went to high school. And um, college, again, I went to my university, an all-white school here. I am biracial, trying to navigate that, which has been interesting 
and and now that I'm in my late thirties, it's interesting to see that most of my friends are international people. I don't really have just white friends. I don't really white American friends. I don't necessarily have black American friends. We all sort of have some kind of, you know, either we're from the Philippines or we're Indian or, you know, like don't have a very, and a lot of us are first or not, I'm not even first generation, but a lot of them are first generation. Um, you know, their parents were immigrants. So I have a lot more in common with them than I do. I would say it was someone who was born and raised here in America. Um, but I went to my university. I got my business degree, um, worked in sales for quite a while. I was really good at it, hated it, switched careers, went back to school, became a registered nurse. And um, now I don't even really, I work in the healthcare field, but I don't practice as a nurse anymore. Now I'm a project manager. So I've, I've had a very unique path to where I am right now. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned high school because, you know, I have conversations with friends sometimes and they're like, if I could go back to high school, I would absolutely do it. And I'm like, if I could go back to high school, I would never do that because, I mean, I enjoyed high school, but I think now it's just like there's so much more pressure on people and I grew up, uh, I, I was born in Mexico, but I came to the U S when I was very young. Um, and when I first came here, I only spoke Spanish and, and my name was different. And so it was like, everything about me was different. And yet I was adopted by a white family. So it was like, I guess I should feel more like these other people, but I, I'm so different. And, you know, I was thinking back when I was reflecting on that, when you were, when you were talking about how it's like, where do I fit in? And, and I think it is tough because a lot of it is just people don't know. They don't know how to treat you. They don't know how to interact. They don't know, um, you know, why you eat what you do or why you talk like you do. And, um, and so I think about it and I'm like, man, if I were in school now, I feel like it would just be so much harder because, you know, kids have phones, kids have social media. And, and we had that stuff back then, but it wasn't like every kid had it or like third graders have it where I think that's the case now. Right. Yeah. And, and I think I, I actually, I, like I did overall, I did have a great high school experience except for the part of not being completely accepted for being a biracial student. Mm-hmm. I wish I had grown up in Chicago versus Cincinnati, Ohio. I think my experience would have been a lot different, mm. but it is what it is. Yeah. And you're right. People just don't know what to do with me because they expect, they see me and they automatically have expectations on how I'm supposed to, what my, how I'm supposed to sound, how I'm supposed to behave. And when I don't fit in that, in that stereotype that they have of me, it makes them very uncomfortable. And, you know, I kind of did something that was a bit of a jerk the other day. Um, I went somewhere and they're like, you know, fill out this form and fill out this demographics. And I wrote, I clicked white. And this lady looked at it and then looked at me and looked back. And she's like, did you click? Did you mark the right thing? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, are you, are you sure? And I'm like, well, I'm just, I was like, I'm just as much white as I am black. So I don't know which one you, because I could only pick yeah. one. And the reason I did is she'd already just been, she already had, she just didn't have this great energy about her. And I just played into it, which I, I now regret because I never do those types of things. But it just was interesting because it made just made her so uncomfortable. And it made me start thinking of, you know, why do individuals like myself have to decide, am I either black or am I white? Why do I have to make that decision? Because 
then I would be neglecting one side of my family. Both my parents are really equally important to mm-hmm. me, and I don't think that I have to pick, you know? And I don't know, it's just, it, it's an, I don't know why I'm going down that rabbit hole, but like the other day someone asked me like, oh, you date white guys? And I'm like, what am I supposed to date? <laughs> like, I'm confused. You're like, I, I, and I asked her, and I, asked, I was like, well, am I supposed to only date black guys? She's like, well, yeah, because you're black. I was like, but I'm just as much white. And she just had no, no comment, no return on that. So, because it's just, I, maybe because of what's going on in society, I am asking people, you know, making people be a little bit more uncomfortable to maybe help them think about like their own, you know, the, the subconscious bias that they have in their heads. And, you know, because it, it, it's not, I don't know. I, I guess, I don't know what I'm trying to, my point is. But. Well, I think what you're saying is really interesting because I've had this conversation with other biracial people of, of any race, really, where it's like, why do I have to pick one or the other? You're like constantly having one foot in both worlds. And so I think what I'm hearing from you is this sense of like, when it comes to certain things, like checking the boxes or standing up for one culture or another, or, you know, people constantly asking you to pick a side. Um, I mean, that has to be really difficult to deal with. Um, so I guess, how have you seen that come up in your, in your corporate life or at work? Have you had to deal with that very much or has that, uh, affected you at all in work? I mean, absolutely. Um, already being a female, mm-hmm. I've already overcome that. Um, being young and being successful in what I'm doing, um, you know, being a biracial woman, you know, I, I, I I've never, you know, it, it's funny. Someone actually the other day was like, you're so privileged. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> oh, wait, what? I'm privileged? I was like, I've never heard. I, I was like, I have never been called privileged before i'm like i i don't even know how to properly respond to it when i was asked when that person said something to me but you know when it comes to my job i think i think that i am so confident and by how my parents raised me um that i don't let other people's discomforts make me change who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm going to all be who Natalie is and I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, it's actually interesting. When I did work in Canada, I had more cultural clashes being American, being an American working in Canada um, because they kept thinking, they're like, nah, you're just so aggressive. You're so American. You know, that I, I had more issues with that, I think, than than I've had with just being a black female in, in the industry I'm in. Um, and especially in healthcare is so healthcare. There's so many women in our industry, yeah. which is great. Not enough, but there is so many, but my first career when I was a logistics broker, it's a male dominated environment and um, lots of sexual harassment, unbelievable and never reported because you don't want, you know, you don't want to be that female that, potentially get somebody fired or be the tattletale. So, you know, you just try to brush it off as much as you possibly can. And I'm so happy to be out of that environment because it's just, I mean, just every single day you're just getting catcalled and 
people spread rumors about you just because you walked into the building at the same time with somebody else and, you know, have be mindful of how you're dressing because you don't want some, you know, it just, it, it was so stressful working in that environment, just constantly having to fight every day for men to see me as not a sexual object. That was tough. Yeah. Um, in healthcare, it, it has not been the same experience. Um, but with the residents that we do serve, you know, I have had to deal with some racism, um, but I've never apologized for being who I am. And, um, and I've had to have tough conversations with some of our residents. Um, and it's been more uncomfortable for them than for me, <laughs> um, more uncomfortable for their family members than for me. Yeah. Um, Luckily, the company I work for now has a lot of women, has a lot of diversity in our workforce. Do they? Do we have opportunities to be better? Absolutely. Um, but they're slowly starting to make the steps towards being more inclusive, um, which I commend them for. They just have a lot more way to go, but baby steps. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing all that. That's, that's uh, you know, I'm so, I feel so bad that you had to, to deal with that stuff. But I, I do appreciate you sharing that with us because I think it is important for all people to understand how, you know, things make other people feel and feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and things that you don't think about. And I know, you know, I think people now understand a little more how, you know, crude jokes are not okay. And, but, but, you know, I hadn't even thought a lot about how, you know, you have, you know, when I get dressed in the morning, I find a shirt, I find pants, I put them on, I go to work. I don't worry about, uh, mm-hmm. I don't worry too much about, you know, what people think when they see it or they see me in it. I have to be very strategic about what I wear every single day. And, 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 and I am not the only female. All of us females have to be very strategic about what we wear. Um, and it's just unfortunate. <laughs> like it's, it's just so unfortunate that we have to make those mindful decisions. Like, oh, if I put this lipstick on, what are people going to perceive of me? You know? And yeah, it's just, it's and already being a female, but then also being a minority female. Um, I think that we are seen sometimes as lesser than, you know, our white counterparts. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's, you know, yeah, so I do have to be, very, it's very strategic what I wear to work every day. <laughs> we hope that you've been enjoying our chat so far with Natalie Herzog. We wanted to make sure that you got to enjoy her full podcast episode. So we've decided to do this in a two-part episode. So this will be the end of part one. Please make sure to tune in next week for part two. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solutions Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. 
All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.